and complicated, and there's not necessarily an easy answer sometimes to the conflicts that we experience. But we have to deal with it. It, It's part of who we are. And when I think about conflict, one of the things that comes to my mind is um, I remember very distinctly the first fight that I witnessed in high school. Now, let me be clear. I witnessed fights before high school, and I don't know about your experiences, but for me, fights prior to high school was kind of like a wrestling match. I mean, you know, you kind of grabbed each other and, you know, threw each other around. But my first fight that I witnessed in high school was absolutely different. I remember it was either at lunchtime or break time. I can't remember. We were sitting at some picnic tables, and it happened behind me, and there's there's a very distinctive sound when a fist hits a face. That was different. I'd seen wrestling matches. I'd seen, you know, hair being pulled. I had seen, you know, kind of the struggle or, or people posturing like they were going to fight. But the actual fist hitting a face, that makes a very unique sound. And, and we turn around and these two guys are going at it. And it was for real. So that was... Uh, hopefully not the reality of your kind of conflict, but that is one type of conflict that we deal with. And the reality is when there's conflict, there are consequences. There are uh, victims, there is destruction, there is hurt. Often there's retaliation, there's broken relationships. Conflict is, is a real thing. And so we need to understand this. And so as I was preparing this week, I heard uh, a pastor was telling a story that happened to him he when he was in his younger days was in a band and their 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 band was traveling around the area so they had uh, purchased a van for them to put their equipment in and they were traveling from show to show and and they were at one particular uh, point they were traveling through a, a rather remote area and the van started making a a kind of a gasping sound in the engine area. It was a very unique sound. And so like any group of young people, what did they do? They turned up the radio so they couldn't hear the sound anymore. And they just kept going. And then they they realized that this sucking, gasping sound was getting worse. And as they were going up hills, the van would slow down significantly. And then they would make it over the hill and they would go down the other side with, it would be fine, no problem. Eventually, They found themselves on the side of the road. The van had stopped working altogether, and the hood was up, and they had no clue what was wrong with it. And they had ignored the warning signs, and now they found themselves stranded. And so I wonder, like, within our relationships from time to time, if it might be good just to lift the hood and have a a look. Because the easiest thing is to turn up the volume of the music, right, and just, hey, yeah, I know there's a problem But I'm just going to ignore it for right now, and everything will be fine. And the reality is everything will not be fine. Uh, We need to lift the hood, and we need to address some issues. Now, I want to let you know, thankfully for us, that the Bible is full of recommendations and solutions and answers to what ails you related to relationships. Now, I I am not by any means thinking that this morning is going to solve every problem, We're going to look at one passage together. I'm going to suggest some others at the end of our time together. But absolutely, as we think about lifting the hood of our lives and checking out what's wrong, God's Word gives us direction for that. 
And so this morning we're going to look in the book of James. So I would invite you to find James chapter 4. James is the, the brother of Jesus. And he was one of the leaders in the early church. And he is writing to Christians in this passage. James chapter 4. He's not writing to a particular church. He's writing to Christians that are kind of scattered around the area. But um, if you've ever studied James, and you will see it this morning, the, the beautiful thing about the book of James is that, number one, he doesn't pull any punches. He's very practical, and he kind of calls it what it is. Even when it's not easy to hear, he calls it what it is. So let's look at James chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses of this chapter. Here's what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come, come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is God's word. So let me give you my first observations. And this is nowhere on your notes. You may want to jot it down. But when I was looking through this passage and kind of unpacking it, there was just three quick observations that came to me that are somewhat separate from what I believe God wants to say to us this morning. But the first observation was that James presumes that there will be fights. He doesn't say, if there are fights and quarrels among you, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He, he assumes, he, he knows that these things are happening. Second thing is that uh, James focuses solely on one side of the fight. When he's talking to the people, he is not talking to both parties in this particular situation. He is talking to one person, and he is he's noticing he's addressing them he's not addressing the other person in the conflict or in the quarrel that was a, a second observation and the third um, observation is that this battle is very much an internal an internal struggle because often when we come to a, a, a counseling or or a situation where we're trying to work through something it's very easy for us to feel like, well, if they would just fix the other person, or if the other side would get their act together, everything would be fine. And my good friend Lee Pritchard likes to say, anytime you're pointing the finger at somebody else, three more are pointing back at you. And so the, it's very easy to say, if, they would, if, if my wife would just get her stuff together, this conflict would not be a problem. Or if my boss or the other person, if we could get that problem figured out, if this situation would get ironed out, I would be fine. And James is kind of saying the opposite 
to us. He's saying you need to look at, you need to lift the hood in your own life. And you need to look at your circumstance and your situation. So that's what we're going to do by answering two questions today. We're going to answer the question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And we're going to answer the question, where is peace or resolution found? So let's, and this is not going to be rocket science, friends, because it's right here in James chapter 4. But what, what causes Fights and quarrels among you. James says, first of all, it's the desires that battle within you. And really more specifically, what the word that James uses here is your desire for pleasure. It's your personal seeking after pleasure and contentment and fulfillment in your own life. This is what drives you forward. And that the trajectory of our life, this pleasure, this fulfillment, this happiness, if this is the central overriding uh, desire or central part of your life, it will by its nature create conflict. And so he says, you want something and you don't get it. And whatever that something is, it's usually this conditional thing. We talked about love last week being unconditional, but often we turn it into, if this thing would just happen, if this circumstance would get figured out, everything would be fine. And so we want something, we don't get it. He says you kill and you covet. Our desire for things, our desire for pleasure, it it becomes all-consuming. We will stop at nothing to get what we want. And so it drives us forward. And whatever I leave in the wake, whatever happens with other people in my life, doesn't really matter so much because I'm seeking what is fulfilling and meaningful to me. He says in verse 3 that our motives are wrong. Well, actually, before that, he says this. He says, you don't have because you don't ask God. And so the the question that comes to my mind, if I'm not asking God, who am I asking? And it it occurs to me that basically I'm asking myself. I put it upon myself to be my own source of fulfillment. And as long as I am the source of fulfillment and contentment in my life... I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. But he eventually says, even when you do ask, in verse 3, you ask with the wrong motives. To spend it on your own pleasures. And this is reminiscent of the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. The prodigal son came to his father and said, give me my part of the inheritance I'm I'm ready to get out of here and take off. I'm ready to go. And so he takes off. And what does it say that he does with his inheritance? He spends it on his pleasure. Same word that James uses. And he thinks that is going to bring fulfillment to his life. And it brings nothing but destruction in his life. So as long as we're pursuing those things, those desires, there's going to be in the wake behind us nothing but conflict and destruction and problems. So the first thing that causes these quarrels and fights, if we're honest, it's these desires that battle within us. And and secondly, he says that it's compromise and pride. And I say compromise because James says that we become friends with the world. That we have moved away from any kind of reliance on God and we have embraced the things of this world, the things that this world offers to the central throne of our life. And so this is what we pursue. 
It might be money. It might be position. It might be influence. Whatever it is that the world would say, this will give you the answer. And so we compromise. We, we might even say, you know, we know that we should be serving God or relying on God, but we found ourselves drawn into this machine that is the world. And Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you cannot serve two masters. You are either, you're going to love one and hate the other. It's impossible. We can't, we can't walk this line with one foot being friendly with the world and one foot committed to our God. We've got to make a decision. We cannot serve both masters. And so what word does James use here? He says, you adulterous people. You are unfaithful. You are adulterers. And this is, this is an offensive word, this idea of adultery. But William Barclay, I wanted to read to you what William Barclay said in his commentary on James because I think he expresses this idea of using the word um, adulterous people it was very clear to me. So this is what William Barclay says. He says, This form of expression may offend some delicate modern ears, but the picture of Israel as the bride of God and God as the husband of Israel has something very precious in it. It means that to disobey God is like breaking the marriage vow. It means that all sin is sin against love. It means that our relationship to God is not like the distant relationship of king and subject or master and slave, but like the intimate relationship of husband and wife. It means that when we sin, we break God's heart, as the heart of one partner in a marriage may be broken by the desertion of the other. When we recognize that God sees, and, and it's clear in Scripture that God sees our relationship with Him as intimate as a marriage relationship, it's not that God is this distant king that is somewhere up there just pulling strings and making things happen. God intimately wants a relationship with us. And when we walk away from him, when we are unfaithful to him, it is like a broken marriage. And so when that happens, conflict will arise. So there is this idea of compromise and there is this idea of pride. If you look at verse 6, At the heart of it, pride is saying that it's my will, my will be done. I'm going to do it my way. And if I'm honest, and as I think about conflicts that I'm aware of within relationships, it, and I realize it can be very complicated. I'm not trying to minimize your, any conflict that you're dealing with. But I believe pride is central to what conflict is about. As long as I'm insisting on my way and doing it my way, then there's going to be problems. That this pride is at the root of most all sin. In fact, this idea of Satan being tossed out of heaven at one point as one of God's created angels, the, the reasoning given is his pride, Satan's pride, his desire to be God. 
And so when we think about pride, ultimately that's what we're saying. I, it's my way or the highway. And as long as we hold on to that, then there's going to be conflict. So as soon as we can get a hold of that in our own hearts and that we can recognize that what I need more than anything else is that my heart would be transformed by God's presence in my life, as soon as I can grasp that, then conflict begins to fade away. Will conflict be gone altogether? I don't think so. This side of heaven, I don't see that happening. But how we resolve it, how we work through it will be totally changed as my heart is transformed by the presence of God in it. So the source of, the, the source of our conflict <clears throat> are the de- desires going on within me, my pride, my compromise with the world. So what's the answer? Where is peace found? And I was reminded, and I'm reminded often, that when, it, when we think about resolving conflict and coming to this resolution or peace in our life, it would be so nice if we felt like we had ultimate control over the other party in the conflict. The reality is the only person that we really have control over is ourselves. And when you look at what James is saying here, he very, very intentionally gives us a step-by-step sequence. There's a very much a sequence of what we need to do to come to peace with God and peace with others. And it really starts with an intentional, growing relationship with God. Friends, it, it happens through the gospel. It is, it is the reality of the transformation and life change that happens when we come to faith in Jesus. That is where this all spins out of. The good news of the gospel begins to change us. So what does James say here in chapter 4? First of all, he says that peace is found when we submit to God. This idea of submission is not a word that we enjoy. Submission means this. It means to align myself under the authority of this other person, this other, this, in this sense, God. That I align myself under the authority of God. That I will submit my will. I will set my will aside. I will set my desires aside. I will say, my life is yours. It begins by submitting myself to God. As we've said, the root of most of our conflict has to do with me insisting on it being my way. Now, maybe I'm alone in this. If I am, then this is just for me. But I think about my own conflicts with, uh, within family or with other, uh, even conflicts that happen within my head. It, from the very beginning, it's driven by my desire to take care of myself. He goes on to say that uh, we submit to God, we resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Once I submit to God, once I've said, God, you are central, you are master, I will will serve no other, I'm aligning myself under your authority, then the the devil has no authority, has no place, and and if, if I choose to resist that, I say no to that, the promise is that he will flee. But it's willing submission to God. This is the only solution. That I willingly put myself under God's authority. And James tells us that if we do that, the devil 
and we resist the devil, the devil will flee from us. He follows that up by saying, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Again, we see an an intentional sequence here. This is not God moving closer to us. This is us arranging our life, putting ourselves in a situation where we find ourselves in a closer, deeper relationship with God. These are things that we're doing. We're submitting our will to God. God is there. We are resisting the devil. We are coming near to God. We are drawing near to him. Drawing near to God and him drawing near to us is probably a whole nother sermon. We could talk about what that looks like, to draw near to God. But the idea that James is laying, for, laying out here is that there is a, a sequence, an intentional sequence. Those of us that have been far from God or need to come back in right alignment with God need to draw near to him. He goes on to say, wash your hands. You sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. This speaks to the idea that how we act and how we think must follow. So we submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil. We draw near to God. So how I act, how I think, what I say, all of that should begin to line up. I need to recognize that there are, there's maybe some changes I need to make. When it comes down to it and conflict needs to be resolved and taken care of, there's things that need to happen within that relationship. There's adjustments that need to be made. Any of you that are married, some of you I realize are not married, but if you are married, you recognize this. That there's adjustments that we make as we spend our lives together. And so some of this happens outwardly. It's, it's how we live. It's how we act towards others. The other part of it is happening internally. How I think. My attitudes are going to change. I'm washing my hands. I'm changing how I live. But I'm purifying my heart. I, I am recognizing that internally as I submit to God and He begins to change my heart and mind, I think differently. What used to be important is not as important anymore. Insisting on my own way is not what drives me. But I want... To be at peace with God, I want to be at peace with others. And he puts that responsibility, James does, on us. We are to wash our hands. We are to purify our hearts. It's part of that sequence. And then he says, grieve, mourn, and wail. And I could think of nothing else but just the idea of repentance. That when, that when I recognize the destruction, the pain, the conflict that my attitudes and my way of acting causes, my best response is all of these things we've mentioned, but maybe more than anything else is just to repent and say, man, I, I, I can't do this. In my own wisdom, my, my own strength, and my own ability, it's not going to happen. And so we're broken. We're broken by the pain that we have left behind us. And so he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And so we understand that as as we align ourselves under God's headship, his authority in our life, things begin to change. Now that's, that's all well and good and I wanted to give you one other last 
step, and it's not in James chapter 4. But I, I believe when we think about conflict, interpersonally at least, there were some things, a couple verses that came to my mind, and so I wanted you to jot them down. The first is Ephesians 5.21. In Ephesians 5.21, we're talking about this idea of humble submission to one another. And I would suggest that when we, when we get into a conflict with another person, that a willingness to submit is important. In James 5.21, Paul says to the Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that, that I submit to the other person. And then the last uh, verse that I want to share with you is Philippians chapter 2. And Paul in Philippians 2 uh, says that we should not think of our own personal interests, but also the interests of others. So all the things that James is talking about as it relates to our relationship with God and, and, and coming to peace with God really impacts how we relate to other people in our life. And so this idea that as I come to peace and an intimacy of my relationship with God, it is going to impact how I relate and, and my relationships to others. Now, if you're looking for other places to find information in God's Word regarding relationships, I wanted to give you some other places to look. So if, if you're writing these things down, I'm going to give you four passages that I believe speak to uh, this idea. First is Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 25. Matthew 5, 23 to 25. Secondly, also from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, will help you. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. And then Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. And Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 12, 14 and 15. So, and there are others. But those are four passages. If you say, okay, Jeff, that's all well and good. I understand that it's driven mainly by my own desires and what's happening in my own life. I know I've got to get my relationship with God right. I've got to submit to God. I've got to resist the devil. I've got to repent. I've got to wash my hands. I've got to do all those things. I'm looking for something else to hold on to. Check those passages out because th that will give you some more direction on, on what God's Word says about how we can better relate to the people around us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your Word. Thanks for the book of James that speaks abundantly, clearly about how we can come to a resolution of our conflicts with one another. And God, we confess today and we recognize that it, re it really starts with the desires that battle within each of us. So would we learn the importance of submitting to you, that we would not compromise to what the world offers, that we would not find ourselves drifting into a, a selfish, self-driven kind of contentment, but that we would recognize that true peace in this world comes as we submit our lives to you. Thanks for that truth today. Now, God, would you give us wisdom as we step out of this place and even as we walk out into the parking lot today, we might find ourselves right in the middle of a conflict. And would you give us wisdom? Would, we, would you give us a sense of your peace and presence as we walk through the things that will come at us this week? 
God, we thank you for your presence in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to talk about um, God's blessings in our life. Would you stand with me? As we conclude this morning, let's sing together, worship God together as we conclude. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Amen. As you go this morning, let me remind you, Debbie will be back there. Uh, Debbie, uh, both Debbies will be back there actually regarding uh, growth groups. Dustin's back there, I believe, for serve day. Uh, there are things happening here, and I will be here at the front. If you need prayer this morning, something going on in your life, maybe a particular conflict or something that you would uh, need prayer for, uh, I would love to pray with you this morning uh, before you go. So I'll be here at the front. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that you meet us in the midst of whatever circumstances come our way and specifically God this week I would pray against the conflicts that would crop up in our life that we would respond in a way that would honor you that would glorify you and that would uh, draw people closer to you in Jesus name we pray amen have a great week